Well, today we're going to look at the heart of the matter. And the heart is a complex thing, isn't it? We associate hearts with the cute little symbol of love. But we also know that our hearts can just as easily be broken as anything else. And reality is that with sin in the world, our hearts will be broken, either by choices that we make or by choices others make. The Bible has a lot to say about the heart, but for us to understand any of it, we need to be right with the Lord in order to have that communion with him in our spirit. And so before we begin, I think it's important that we make sure we are in a right relationship with him so that his spirit can be the one to teach us this morning. There are two main prerequisites for understanding the word of God, which is spiritually ascertained. It's We're told in 1 Corinthians 2.14. And one of them is we must be born again, according to John chapter 3. We must be spiritually born from above. And as God makes us a new creature, he places a spirit within us so that our spirit and his spirit can relate. So he gives us a compatible spirit to his at our salvation. And I think most of us ladies have done that. So praise God that we are all on the same page there. The second priority or prerequisite for understanding God's word is that our heart must be right with his. We must be in fellowship with him. And I've shown this diagram before, but because of Christ, we have um, been placed into him and at salvation, and we also have the fellowship that's described for us, and the fellowship one has a line going in and out of it because we can go in and out of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This sphere is actually inside this sphere. We never lose our position in Christ, but we do step out of his control an awful lot, don't we? So that is the second thing we must take care of. And the way that we do that, our go-to verse for that is 1 John 1, 9. That assures us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to give us a moment here to quietly spend some time in confession to him. I know I need to make sure my heart is right before I teach you. And... Um, Perhaps things have happened in your day already that you need to spend some time talking to the Lord about. We're not going to take a long time on this. We're just going to take a few minutes, and then I will open us in prayer. So take a few minutes there. You know, the word confess literally means to name it. So as you think of those things that you have done that are against God's word, name those in your heart and let him take care of those for you because he is faithful to forgive and restore that relationship. So just take a moment silently now. Father, you are so gracious to us that you would forgive us time and time again. You are so patient and so loving. Your mercies are new every morning, Lord, and how we count on that. 
God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, as we deal with the matters of the heart, that you would be the surgeon that does the heart surgery on us, that you would refine us, that you would shape and mold us, make us pliable to do so, Lord. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, whose name we can come to you because of. Amen. Isn't it amazing that he sees and knows our hearts, and yet he still wants a relationship with us? That blows me away every time I think about it. Sometimes I get, you know, I kind of take it for granted that I'm just his and he's mine. But sometimes when I see how my heart has been through the week or the day, the morning, I am just blown away that his grace and his mercy covers that and accepts me right where I am, restoring me to a relationship with him. So if you don't have that habit of going to him before you go to his word um, and confessing any sin, I would suggest that you do that on a regular basis. First on one nine, I use it every day, every day. Multiple times some days, because <laughs> I'm just kind of a stubborn girl, I guess. Um, one of the Bible helps that I use when I study is on my phone. It's in a program app called Logos. And it's the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament based on semantic domains by Lonida. That's quite the name, isn't it? <laughs> You can need a dictionary just to understand the name. But that all that long name tells us is that two men, Dr. Lowe and Dr. Nida, got together and they took the Koine Greek language that most of the New Testament is written in and they put it into English so that we could understand it. And though we don't have their words in our translated Bible, we do have that help available to us along with other Bible dictionaries that you can look at that help us to understand the definitions of words a little bit better. And it just makes studying so much easier, especially for someone like me who I don't know the original languages other than what I've been taught. So it's um, a, a great help. But here's how they define the heart as used in the New Testament. And I've put it there on your lesson guide as well. The word for heart is cardea and is the causative source of a person's psychological life in its various aspects, but with special emphasis upon thoughts. It's defined as the heart, inner self, or our mind. And when the Bible is speaking of the heart, it's not talking about the blood pump that's in our chest. In most cases, it's dealing with really how we think, what we believe. It's our belief system that it's referring to. It's the source of all of our thought and all of our actions. The things that you trust in are probably a little different than the things I trust in. Um, the standards that you have for your life are probably a little different than the standards I have for my life. But hopefully, as we're in the Word of God, those will become united. Um, as it talks about in Ephesians, where there, we will grow into the full stature of Christ, and we will be united in our faith. And so as we read his Word, that should 
begin to change our norms and standards of how we live and what we believe and how we think. And it'll change our actions. So it's our inner being. And as I said, belief shapes our actions. What we believe, we act from. We don't do something that we don't believe in. So if we want to know what we really believe in, just take a look at our actions. How are our reactions to things? How, is, um, how do we respond to different situations in our life? Are they biblical or are they not? The Bible has a lot to say about the heart. And in Genesis, it started way back in chapter 8 of Genesis, as God looked at the world and he found only one family remained that was righteous. And so he put those eight people on a big boat and then he destroyed everything and everyone else. This is what he says in Genesis 8.21 and there's some fill-ins there on your lesson guide. He says this about the heart. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. It's evil from his youth. And we've seen before that because of Adam's sin, that each one of us is now born with a sin nature. We don't have to be taught how to sin. It just comes automatically in our package. (laughs) As a human, we sin. And it's because the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, it's evil because it's separated from God. And it takes God reshaping that heart for us to have a heart like his. Sometimes we want what we want. And sometimes we do stuff because we want what we want, but we really don't know that what we want is the bad thing for us until after when we suffer the consequences. Sometimes we choose to do the wrong even when we know that the consequences are going to be bad. But most of us have a heart that can get us into all kinds of trouble. Because when we follow the heart that's not following God, we get off course. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is more deceitful than all else. It's deceitful more than all else. And is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I know one person that does, or one being that does, and that's our God. He understands our heart. But it is more deceitful than all else, desperately sick. And is it any wonder that our hearts get hurt? And worse, that our hearts are hurt by the choices we make (laughs) based on a lie that we think is truth, lies that that reveal that we have forgotten who we are in Christ, that we are made righteous, we are made holy, we are made sanctified, we are made justified, we are redeemed, we are all of the blessings in the heavenlies. And we forget that and we lie to ourselves and think that that thing out there is going to satisfy us more than he can. Our heart is deceitful more than all else and is desperately sick. And we have no clearer picture in scripture than this of this when we then we will look at um, King David. His life. Oh my goodness. Remember he started out as a humble little shepherd boy 
that was told he was going to become the king. And he waited on the Lord. And he faithfully served King Saul throughout that whole time, knowing that one day it was going to be his throne. But until then, he was going to serve Saul. Even when King Saul was trying to kill David, he was faithful and waited on the Lord to provide that opportunity. He didn't take it into his own hands. There were plenty of times he could have. But, you know, we see the story of him in the cave. Saul's right there. He could have killed him. He cut off part of his robe to prove that he could have killed him. But he waited on the Lord. His, his heart was right with God. Until some chapters later, as we read on in Samuel, that he becomes king, and then something happens. This humble, faithful servant of God sees a woman on her rooftop taking a bath, and he wants her. And he has someone go get her, and she conceives his child. And then, if that's not evil enough, to commit adultery with this woman. Her husband was out fighting the battle that the king should have been leading, but he was home in his palace. And so he sends for Uriah, her husband, to bring him home because she's with child and he needs to make Uriah think that it's his child. So he brings Uriah home thinking that Uriah will go and spend the night with his wife. But Uriah was a good man, a faithful man. He was noble. He was valiant. He was one of the mighty men that it talks about in Scripture. And he didn't go to Bathsheba. So now what David's going to do? Well, I'll just get him drunk tonight. If I get him drunk, then for sure he'll go home. So he got Uriah drunk. And still, Uriah, even in that state of mind, did not go home to his wife. But he didn't want to go because he didn't want... Why should he enjoy the pleasures of his wife when the, his men were out on the battlefield? So David is at a loss. And what does he do next? He takes a letter and he writes out a plan, an evil plan from his heart to the commander that he has Uriah take back with him to the commander that says, put Uriah on the front line and then back away from him so that he'll be killed. So here you have this sweet shepherd boy who was humble and faithful, who has devised this evil of adultery, of murder, <laughs> which he accomplishes. And then he decides to, to do things right. God brings him to his knees in repentance. And he brings Bathsheba into his castle and he marries her and... She becomes one of his many wives. But we see later in his life that the consequences of those actions are just awful, heartbreaking. Loses the son that, they were to care, that she was carrying. His other son kills his other brothers because he doesn't want them around to get the throne. Then he tries to kill David, the son does. I mean, the, the consequences of those sins just carry on and on. But God changes David's heart through this process. And he becomes one called a man after God's own heart. Which is pretty high calling there. 
But his journey was certainly one of deception. Deuteronomy 11, 16 warns, Beware that your hearts are not deceived. Beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Ladies, this can happen to any of us. It's subtle at first. Oh, we just won't go to church today. We've got some other things to do. And then before we know it, oh, well, I, I don't have time for my Bible study this morning. I'll just leave that for tomorrow. And then pretty soon, day after day, our Bible sits on the shelf, and we never pick it up and look at it. And we are so burdened down by the weight of missing God that we have to turn and become a woman with a heart after his. Deception is one of Satan's greatest tactics. He takes a little bit of truth, just puts a little twist to it, and it's a lie. He did that with Eve in the garden. He does it with us on a daily basis where we think, maybe God is holding out on us a little bit. You know, I could be a lot happier if I didn't have this God watching over me, dictating every move I make. Those are lies. We're not going to be happier. The more we read the Bible, the more we find out that he wants so much more for us. King David would later write this lyric in, six, in Psalm 1611. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Did you know the right hand is a symbol of authority in the Bible? And who's sitting at the right hand of the Father? Christ is. And who is in Christ? We are. We are sitting there with him at that place of authority. We, because we are in Christ, have the power and the authority to tell sin, no, I'm not doing it. I have God. I don't need to do those things because we have power and authority in our position in Christ. In him there is fullness of joy, and in his right hand there are pleasures forever. In John 15, 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Does that sound like a God that's holding out on us? <laughs> I don't think so. But then there are all those hurts that we experience in life. My goodness, I have two sets of friends this week who had adult children that went home to be with the Lord. Well, one I know went home to be with the Lord. The other one I don't know their situation. One was killed tragically in a car accident. Um, his parents had just come down here to visit. They arrived Sunday, and by Wednesday they were on a plane going back to the States because they, their son had been killed in a car accident. Yesterday... Um, okay. <laughs> Yesterday, a boy that I used to teach in Sunday school, that's my son's age, went home to be with the Lord after a very long illness, very, very long illness. He was probably 
I'm thinking maybe nine, ten, when he came down with a, a disease called AT. I can't say the num name, it's too long, but AT. And he's been in a wheelchair all of his adult life. He's 36, maybe 37, um, I think 36. And he went home to be with the Lord yesterday. He's not bound in that wheelchair anymore. Amen. He's able to talk again, which he was unable to do since for a long time. Um, yeah, but there's hurts that we go through in our life that we have the choice of how we respond. And it all comes from what's in our heart. If we allow those hurts to get stacked up like cinder blocks, building a wall, pretty soon we can't see God anymore. We have to take those to him. Those hurts have to go to him and let him deal with them for us. And I'm telling you, there's nothing sweeter than having a clear vision of God. But our heart can be hardened if we're not careful. In Exodus chapters 7 through 14, we see the story, and time after time after time, people's hearts being hardened. Whether it was Pharaoh's or the Egyptians or even God's own chosen people, the Israelites, they hardened their hearts. And we have to be aware not to let our hearts become hardened, to not let any wall be built up between us and God. There is no room for stubbornness when we are submitting to God. Jeremiah, the prophet, says this in chapter 13, 10 through 11. This wicked people, speaking of the Israelites, who refuse to listen to my words, this is God speaking, who walk in the stubbornness of their hearts and have gone after other gods to serve them and to bow down to them, let them be just like this waistband, which is totally worthless. For as the waistband clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole household of Israel and the whole household of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they did not listen. God had given direction to the prophet Jeremiah to go and buy himself a waistband. And they needed those waistbands to hold up things, didn't they? So he had this waistband, and then God said, I want you to put it in the cleft of a rock. Just leave it there. So Jeremiah obeyed God, and he went and he put the waistband into the rock, and he left it there for a while. And then God said, go back and get the waistband. And when Jeremiah went back to get that waistband, it was destroyed. It was useless for what he needed it for. It was worthless. And that's what he compares the people, his chosen people, to because of the stubbornness of their hearts and because they'd gone after other gods to serve and bow down to them. That can happen to us 
if we're not careful. We can become totally worthless for what God has planned for each one of us in our lives. And he has a specific plan for each one of us in our lives. One that just as it was for Israel would bring praise and glory to him. But they did not listen. We need to listen. We need to stay in a place of listening to him or we could end up as worthless as they were. Ephesians 4.18 says, Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And it is so easy to say, I trust God. God and I are like this. We're good. It's so easy to say those words. But in reality, if we are holding on to any unforgiveness, um, any sense of rebellion. And that can come out in so many little ways. It was just this last week that the Lord reminded me of this. (laughs) When my husband came out of the room, happy-go-lucky, I was in the middle of something, and he wanted my attention, and I didn't want to give him my attention. I wanted to do what I was doing. And I I had this little, ooh, sense of, I need to correct my heart because I wasn't very loving to my husband. So anytime we have those little niggling things that are in us, we need to confess those right away because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of that is ours because of Christ. So we don't have to have that rebellious spirit. And whether we have it out of self-preservation, thinking that's the only thing that's going to make me strong is for me to be strong, or whether or not it's out of self-will, I just want things the way I want them. We need to correct that, and we need to take that to the Lord. And again, 1 John 1.9 is the go-to for that. When our hearts are hurting, it's even more imperative to seek God. Otherwise, we're going to assign a characteristic to him that makes him a lesser God. What I mean by that is that when we don't take our hurts to him, we're saying he's not big enough to handle those hurts. And we make him smaller than he really is. So we need to seek God first. Always. The Israelites had been warned that that could happen if they didn't seek him. In Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 14, it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Sometimes it's not a bad thing that we go through various trials and tribulations because they put us back on our knees to him. When things are going good, as it was for the Israelites, when things are, wow, I can't ask for anything more. I just have so much. 
then we kind of tend to take our eyes off of God. But he wants a daily relationship with us. We don't want to become proud and forget the Lord our God. Because he didn't bring us out of the land of Egypt, ladies, but he did bring us out of the land of darkness. We were in darkness. We were in the miry clay that we talked about last month. But he has brought us out by his love and his grace. God knows where our heart is looking. And he knows what we have stored in our hearts. Nothing is hidden from God. Nothing. We can try to hide it all we want. Psalm 44, 21 says, Would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. And this book right here, this reveals to us so much of whether our thoughts and our intentions are true or not. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow. Think of that picture. That is, he is able to get through to the very heart of the matter and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Our omniscient God knows our hearts, ladies. Turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, and let's look at verses 17 through 23. Mark chapter 7, verses 17 through 23. Jesus is here, and he's clearing up a little bit of an argument with the people about what's acceptable to eat and what's not acceptable to eat, which... He says that's not even the real issue. We're gonna, I'm going to tell you a parable that will reveal the real issue to you. So he tells the people in verses 14 to 16. And then verse 17 it says, When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into the heart, but it is into the stomach and is eliminated. Thus, Jesus declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? It's not what goes into the man that defiles us. It's what comes out. There are many things that go into us. Food, drink, um, music, um, things we see, watch, 
listen to. We have all these different ways that we take things in. And he says, that's not what defiles you. What defiles you is what comes out of you. Because what comes out of you is out of your belief system. It's out of your heart. It is going to show, your actions are going to show what you believe. So what's in our heart? It's time to get to the heart of the matter. We've talked before about our position in Christ. And um, at that moment that we surrender our life to him, that we are placed, the, the Titus 2.14 describes it as a sphere, not a circle, but a sphere. And we are a dot placed within that sphere. That's us being a possession of Christ. And in Titus 2.14, it talks about us being a treasured possession of his, one that he holds on to. And so it's not just a matter of, I believe in Christ, I believe in God, not with just lip service or not with just a head knowledge. I mean, there were a lot of Pharisees who believed in God, but they didn't believe the truth of God. It has to be in our heart that we place our faith in him. And that is when Christ exchanges our evil heart with a pure heart. And he sent his spirit to make us new, as we see in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If we are in Christ, then we are a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. But we don't always live that way. Deuteronomy 4.29 points the way. It says, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him when you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. The heart of the matter for us is who's going to be in charge? We make that choice. We have to initiate the action to let God be in charge of us. And it comes from our very heart and soul. When we do, he promises that we will find him. And the word believe is pistis, and it means to put your weight on it, just like you're doing on those chairs right now. You are putting your faith that that chair is going to hold you up. So your faith is only as good as what you're putting it into, right? We have placed it into the God of all creation. And so our faith is secure. We can put our weight on it with full expectation that he is going to hold us up. Matthew 5, 8 tells us that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that's on the back of your sheets. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the word blessed there I have in brackets is makarios. It means possessing the favor of God, that state of being marked by fullness from God. It's the equivalent of having God's kingdom within one's heart. I love that last bit. It's the equivalent to having God's kingdom within one's heart. Ladies, there are many things that come into our life, but there is none greater than God's kingdom coming within our heart. 
Romans 10.10 says, oh, excuse me, we already did that one. I lost my place. Um, The heart is, that is his. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I didn't cover it. I skipped one, didn't I? Let's go back. So, Romans 10.10. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. When we place our heart and our beliefs into Christ, we are made righteous before God. Not on our own righteousness, not our works. We can't, those don't measure up to anything, and we're told by Isaiah, they're actually are pretty filthy rags. But Because we are in Christ, we have his righteousness, and we have salvation as a result of our belief. Okay, so then on to blessed with Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word blessed is makarios, makarios, and it means possessing the favor of God, that state of being marked by fullness from God. It's the equivalent to having his kingdom within one's heart. And when that happens, when we see and know the love of God, doesn't it just swell our hearts? There are some days when I'm just so full of him. I wish it would be that way every day, but apparently there's some things that <laughs> niggle around in me that I have to take care of. But sometimes I'm so hyper-focused on what he has done that it just overflows. And a friend of mine once said, praise is not praise until it is expressed. And so there are days when I just, standing out on my deck, arms up in the air, just praising God for what he's done in my life. Counting my blessings. Um, there's just, there, it's just an incredible place to understand that he has put heaven in our hearts. And that emptiness that we have felt before is either because we are not in Christ to begin with or because we've stepped out of the control of the Holy Spirit so that we don't have that fullness of his presence in our life at that moment. So we need to take stock. We need to reevaluate. Take a look again at his grace. Take again a look at his, his word and what it tells us about us and what he has done for us. And then just see if the praises don't begin to flow. So just a little time with him. There's an old hymn, Just a Little Walk with Jesus. And that song came to mind as I was putting this together because when I spend time with him, then my heart overflows. And then those cinder blocks that have been building up, those bricks that I've been laying, they get knocked down. So when we have a heart like his, a woman with a heart like his does not fear. It trusts. Psalm 112 verse 7 says, This heart will not fear evil tidings. It is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Psalm 112.7. It is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. So we don't have any fear. 
because we know we can trust God with whatever comes into our life. Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart exalts. There's that coming to fruition. My heart recognizes that I can trust God, that he is my shield and my strength. And because of that, my heart exalts. And then as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, most of us probably have heard these verses many, many times in our lives. We won't lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, we will acknowledge him. We will acknowledge him as God in all our ways, and he will make our paths straight. So if our world is looking a little crazy and our path is wandering and aimlessly most times, we just need to keep our eyes on him because he as our God, will make our path straight. Verse 7 goes on to say, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. When we're giving God his due respect, we will want to turn from evil because they can't coincide with one another. A heart that is his turns away from evil. And we have to know what evil is. Sometimes it's not so blatant. Sometimes evil comes in very subtle ways. All it, is, all it takes is being separated from the control of the Holy Spirit to be walking evil. Because anything that is separate from God is evil. So we have to know what evil is. And as we are in the word of God, the easier the good and evil will become more black and white. And the grays will kind of disappear. They will either become gray, I mean white, or they will become black. We will know right from wrong. So as we are um, turning from evil, And all those little rebellious places that we've been harboring can be dealt with. Those blocks that we've built up in that wall can be torn down. And when that wall is torn down, you are free to roam about the country. (laughs) You are free. It's freedom to tear those walls down. Sometimes we kind of like our walls, don't we? Sometimes it's a pretty wall. We've even added some little color to it. (laughs) But if it's separating us from the God who created the best things for us, why would we want to settle for anything other than the best things? We need to tear those walls down. And a heart that is his serves God, not self. Deuteronomy 10, 12. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You know, it's much like Micah 6, 8, where he says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? He makes it possible when he gives us a new heart. So a heart that is his is new, and it's given from him. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That cold, feelingless heart that we had before that didn't recognize the needs of others because it was so hardened, he takes that out and he replaces it with something soft, a heart of flesh, a heart that's pliable. And because it's soft, we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Luke 21.34 says, Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. If our heart is in tune with God's and we are in his word and we are following his life and his will for us, then those things are not going to be a trap to us. We're not going to be caught up in the situation. We're going to recognize it for what it is. I recognize that Chad is far better off with God than he is in that wheelchair. Now, my mama's heart grieves for his parents <laughs> who have been caregivers since he was eight or nine, well, since he was born, but eight or nine years old when he de- developed these disabilities. But if I'm guarding my heart, I'm going to take that to the Lord. I'm going to seek him in it, and I'm going to say, you know what? Chad is so much better off. Louise and Mark, his parents, are going to be better off in this moment because you are with them, comforting them, being their God in the midst of it. So we need to be on guard so that our hearts will not be weighted down with the worries of life. We are to be a keeper of his word, and there's a real aspect of hiding God's word in our hearts so that we will not sin against him. The more we know of his word, the more tools we have in our spiritual toolbox to draw from. And do you remember that when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, Every reply he gave was scripture. I wish that we all had that arsenal, that we would have his scripture hidden in us so that we could respond with those scriptures in the times of temptation. We should work to have that much of an arsenal in our hearts. Psalm 19, or excuse me, Psalm 119, 11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. In John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus was our righteous example of doing that, wasn't he? In Philippians chapter 2, when it talks about him setting aside his rights as God and coming to humble himself, he, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross, we're told in uh, Philippians 2.8. So a woman must be a keeper of his word. A woman's heart is where we find his strength. Psalm 119.28, we read, My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, 
but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 2 Thessalonians 2.17, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. All of these are great verses to memorize, ladies, to hide them in your arsenal, to put them in your spiritual bank to draw from. Comfort and strength come from his word. And then a heart that is his abides. Psalm 91.1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I love the picture of abiding. I, for some reason, in my head, I picture this very comfortable living room with a warm, cozy fire going, and that smells so good like pine, and we don't have any of that here, but, <laughs> but I'm still abiding. I will, I'll tell you that. Still abiding. It's that enduring with perseverance. Now, that can conjure up a whole different picture than a nice little living room, because enduring with perseverance is the abiding that he's talking about. But when we abide with him, that enduring with perseverance is easier because it comes with comfort and strength. So it's a a blessing when we are with God in a situation because we feel his comfort and his strength. So even when things happen, and in the even ifs, things happen, God is still there with us, and we can abide and enjoy his presence in that situation. That abiding with God is written about by the apostle whom Jesus loved, uh, John. And you realize that John's the only one who called himself the apostle that Jesus loved, his beloved. Um, We can claim the same thing, too. But in both the book of John and in 1 John, and in John 15, he gives the analogy of the vine and the vine dresser, and the branches, and the pruning that happens, and the cleaning up that he has to do of those branches, because obviously we're not growing exactly like he wants us to grow. So he cleans us up, he props us up, he takes care of us. And in John 15, 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And it says that we abide in him, that his fruit is produced in us to help those around us, to build up the body of Christ, and to share with the world what he looks like. Even we cannot do that on our own. And when we try to do things under our own strength, they're as worthless as that waist belt of Jeremiah. God works through his Holy Spirit being in control of our lives. And remember, as Jesus was talking to his disciples before his crucifixion, and he said it was for their benefit that he go away so that a helper would come, that Holy Spirit then came, and he is our assurance that we have a relationship with God. We see that in 1 John 4, 13, where it says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. 
And that right there, that one little idea should be enough to jumpstart our heart in the right direction. We have God abiding with us, living in us. And yes, our hearts, our natural born heart can be stubborn, it can be rebellious, it can be deceptive, and it can be deceived. But as we step out in faith to seek him with our whole heart, he is faithful to respond, exchanging it for springs of life, gloriously abiding with us, giving us a heart that wants to obey rather than rebel. Our heart becomes one of gratitude that walks in wisdom and understanding as we trust in him. Why would we not want to live that way? Isn't everything else just plain foolish? To live apart from him? To walk under our own strength? To try to do that world on our own? No, thank you. I will abide with him. Because <laughs> I'm a wimp at heart. <laughs> I want him to do the work. <clears throat> so what now? Well, like I said, easier. it's, it's a, so easy to le- read a lot of scripture But if it doesn't change us, what's the point? And looking over these areas that we've looked at this morning, if there is is any area you haven't given him your whole heart in, and I know I have been convicted this week as I have studied, and I have had to tear down some bricks that I have been laying, It actually felt pretty good to take a sledgehammer to some of those. (laughs) But there's freedom on the other side. So I will encourage you to do the same. Take some time before the Lord. Look at the words he's written for us. And ask, like King David did in Psalm 139, 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And of course, our go-to verse for daily, minute-by-minute restoration is 1 John 1, 9. If we name it, that yes, Lord, that was sin, and I'm sorry, and I want to live the way you want me to live, he will take that heart and work with it. And then, ladies, let's walk like we belong to him. The world should see us as those people full of his joy, full of his word, having that word ready on our lips, that only comes by memorizing it, taking it in, but we need to have a heart that is fully his. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, Christ in us, and the world needs to see that. The world needs to know it so that they too can have his fullness of joy. Father, thank you this morning for so many blessings you have given us. Forgive us for the areas in our life where we have built up walls between us, that we have taken those hurts and piled them up, kept them in a reservoir there, Lord. But when we put them in the reservoir, we block your springs of life from flowing. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to tear those walls down, that by your strength and your comfort, we will seek you with our whole heart and live for you daily so that others will know and see you as well. 
Thank you for each one that one that is here this morning, Lord. I pray for those who weren't able to be here for one reason or the other. Lord, may you use us to be your vessels. Walk in a way that is worthy so that we can please you in all respects. And we will give you the praise and the glory, Lord, knowing that it's not from our own works, but it is all because of you. For your glory, Lord. Amen.